Kia ora, I'm Bernard Hickey and welcome to the Dawn Chorus on the Kaka for Wednesday the 9th of June. The big news uh, breaking this morning is uh, out of America where ProPublica have gotten hold of uh, figures from the IRS showing that the 25 richest Americans paid just $13.6 billion of tax in the five years to 2018 on capital gains of $401 billion. Also overnight, a whole bunch of websites, thousands of websites, including Reddit, CNN and Twitter, went down for a couple of hours after its cloud service provider Fastly also went down. Breaking here this morning, we've got the Retirement Commissioner coming out with a report calling for a full review of the retirement village sector. And this morning, The Australian is reporting that AMP has, is putting its New Zealand Wealth Management Division up for sale again. Now, the two features I wanted to focus on today were um, the announcement from Chris Hipkins yesterday that the vaccines are coming, about a million of them, in July, and certainly um, pushed towards the second half of July. But the guts of it is um, the vaccination program just keeps getting nudged out bit by bit. And we're now looking at the level four people, so that's the rest of us, if you like, not really starting vaccination until August. We're still yet to get through all of the 1 million level three people. They are the over 65s and people with disabilities and underlying health issues. And we still have thousands of people who are either MIQ workers or connected to MIQ workers who are yet to be given at least one dose of the Pfizer vaccine. So there's a lot of work to be done. Uh, we're vaccinating at a rate about 20,000 a day now. That needs to be ramped up to 50,000 a day in August and September if we're going to get everyone vaccinated in 2021, which is the plan. Now, New Zealand is right at the bottom of the league tables, which I suppose you could understand, given that, that our emergency is not as bad as, as others. But the pressure is on for the government to ramp up the vaccination program. We're reliant on the Pfizer vaccine, and um, obviously some of that's going to other places um, where it's more necessary. Now, does this really matter? Well, obviously, the longer we're not vaccinated, the higher the chance that we see a, uh, a resurgence, a breakout that forces lockdowns. So that's not much fun. But when you look at it, um, we are really dependent on Australia opening up. And at the moment, their vaccination program is even slower than ours. And it doesn't look like they're going to be up and running until the second half of next year. So to be brutally honest, we're not going to see our economy and our borders open up beyond Australia until the second half of 2022. So I wouldn't be booking any trips up north beyond there uh, anytime soon. And on the long run, essentially no one is safe until everyone is. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's true. And there's real issues now in places like America and the UK, getting up beyond 50-60% vaccination rates. And of course, we need to get up towards 80% to, to get that herd immunity thing. So it's not looking great, um, particularly to given India, the Philippines, Australia and South Africa, all major sources of tourists and migrant workers, their vaccination rates are actually below ours. And we're, in the, we're, we're about 113 in the list of vaccination rates. Now, the other thing I want to focus on today was just how quickly mortgage lending is growing. 
I know a lot of people thought after the March 23rd announcement from the government of the uh, removal of interest as a tax-deductible expense for landlords for their existing properties, that that would be the end of it. The market would stop. But it's clear from uh, the mortgage lending stats and a chat I had yesterday with the managing director of Centrix, one of the major credit checking bureaus, um, that there's still plenty of demand out there in the uh, housing market for loans, particularly those people who have plenty of equity. The banks aren't slowing down much. Keith McLaughlin, the managing director, told me that uh, Centrix is seeing demand about 20% above pre-COVID levels, and it hasn't dropped much since the uh, March 23rd result. Um, The data coming out yesterday from Centrix was for all of April. Interesting point, though, personal loans and credit card demand is down substantially, but that may may well be because of the increase in the use of buy now, pay later schemes, particularly during the lockdown. So here we are, a chat uh, with Keith McLaughlin, the Managing Director of Centrix that I had yesterday. First, Keith, could you tell us uh, how Centrix knows what's happening with credit demand and credit quality? Certainly. Well, under the change of... Uh the privacy code where we can now load comprehensive data. Virtually all the banks and major finance companies upload to us every month their entire customer portfolios showing new loans, uh, arrears, that it's 30, 60, 90 days in arrears broken down by credit type. So we get that information fed into the viewer on a monthly basis. So does that mean that you're seeing um, actual um, credit deals done or credit applications? We are seeing the result of that. So we, we see the credit applications come through by the traditional bureau methods. So if somebody applies for a bank or for a credit card, and that will come through us as an inquiry. Um, once the, uh, the credit is granted, that comes through on a monthly update. So we know whether it's current, 30 days, 60 days in arrears, and, and what the behaviour pattern is for each of those individual loans or, or credit facilities. And what are you seeing in terms of um, credit hardship uh, up until the end of April? Up until the end of April, the hardship was was building and the reason for that particularly in the mortgages and the credit cards is because the payment deferral scheme that was set up by the Reserve Bank and trading banks and the major credit providers that was coming to an end at the end of March so it's been quite a push to take people off the payment deferral scheme and put them back into effectively payment as normal now those that couldn't convert to a a typical loan facility were classified as hardship and they were treated quite differently by the credit providers to try and rehabilitate them back into some form of of meeting their obligations. And um, what would you say is the um, the state of um, those people who have um, now finished their deferrals? Are, are they all in trouble, just a few of them in trouble? What are you seeing? Well, I'll start off by saying that I think you know the trading banks in particular have done an excellent job of communicating and working through the situation with each of those people who are under deferral at some stage or experiencing difficulty. And I think that's, that's demonstrated by the fact that 73% of the people who went on to deferral schemes are now back on principal and interest repayments and behaving as if there was never a deferral in the first place. 
Um, some of those, about 10%, have converted their their traditional loan to be interest only, which gives them a, a lesser commitment on a monthly basis in the short to medium term while they rehabilitate themselves. Um, 3% of those have gone into the hardship category, which is really where they cannot pay and they're working with their banks to see what can be done to assist them. And then the final category is, is about 14% of those who are on deferral have closed their account. Now, that could be because they've sold their property, they've refinanced through a separate organisation or whatever the case may be. But I think when you look at that, um, you know, 73%, almost three-quarters, have gone back into normal um, business-as-usual repayments. So any idea of what this might do to mortgagee sales down the line? Because we did see a slight pickup in 2009-10 after the previous global financial crisis. What's your feeling about how it might play out over the next 6-12 months? But I don't think you'll see an increase in mortgage sales um, for a couple of reasons. You know, going back to the you know to the global financial crisis, um, people were caught out that those who who were investing um, in institutions got caught out. I think what we're seeing now really is um, a different scenario. First of all, the property, the asset values have held up, so that's the first thing. So there's equity in, in property. Um, it hasn't fallen down, which has forced the bank's hand to try and realise the asset. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is that unemployment is, is relatively low and therefore people still have the ability to go out and earn money to meet their commitments. So I think those two things together will mean, and also the, the willingness of the lenders to work with the consumers themselves, I think those factors will, will smooth the journey through um, as people get themselves back in, in in order. And what are you seeing in terms of credit demand for the different types of borrowing, mortgages, personal loans and credit cards? Well, we certainly saw a huge uplift in the borrowing on mortgages. I think when you look at that over the, over the period, it's, it's, uh, as everybody knows, the housing market boomed. And with that, even though the number of mortgages may have remained constant, the value of each mortgage because of the increase in the properties um, went up. So mortgage applications have stayed high. The volume has fallen back slightly, um, but the value um, has remained quite high because of the value of the properties. But in personal loans, the volume is up about 7% uh, month by month, uh, but it's still well below what it was um, before we had COVID back at this time last year. What sort of response have we seen in that first month of April since the government's package of measures March 23rd, the um, removal or planned removal of tax deductibility for landlords? We haven't seen anything come through at this stage um, that would dramatically affect it. I, I, my understanding is that uh, real estate stock is still very tight um, and consequently there's not an influx of properties in the market, therefore the prices have stayed quite high. Um, the lending has not taken off by the same token it hasn't fallen away so I think it may be a little bit early at this stage to really say that it has had a major impact one way or the other Just looking at the uh, charts you've put out this month, it shows that mortgage lending is about 20% above its pre-COVID levels, but that um, credit card lending hasn't really recovered, it's about uh, 30% below its pre-COVID levels and personal loan uh, uh, applications still about um, 20% below their pre-COVID levels. What's what's going on there? I think one of the main drivers of that has been the introduction of the buy now, pay later 
um, credit facility or, or purchasing facility. I think there's been a movement away from credit card into buy now, pay later, and also from personal loans into buy now, pay later. So I think um, yeah, it's, it's, if you have a look at what's happened to that in the last 12 months, um, that type of, of account has increased quite dramatically. And I think it really took off during the lockdown period. And there's a massive conversion to online buying. I noticed that um, the growth hasn't been quite so spectacular in the last six months or so. Um, do you think that buy now, pay later is, is a one-off thing or is it going to progressively replace at least part of the lending that was going through credit cards and personal loans to banks and others? I think it's driven very much by the relationship between the consumer and the retailer or the consumer and the service provider. And it tends to come in waves. For example, if there is a an event that creates demand, so if there's uh, pre-Christmas, if it's um, Black Friday, uh, an event tends to trigger a growth in, in activity in that sector, whereas you'll find credit card spending is more of a regular, um, people do it because that's what they've always done. But I think the buy now, pay later uh, industry is driven by those, those events that go out and buy things or incur credit. Keith, um, just thinking back a year now to um, April, May, June of 2020, could you have imagined where we are now a year ago? No. Um, I must say that where I've been sitting, I was really... I mean, we we went into lockdown, and I must say the industry, um, you know, the credit providers, the banks, the credit bureaus, very, very quickly came up with a scheme of deferral that didn't impact people's credit rating. I think that was a really important step in our industry because it gave everybody that breathing space without having damage to their, to their credit history and the credit record. And I think that illustrates the willingness of the business community to look at this as an isolated situation, say, what do we get to do to work through it? And, and that was a, a glowing example of how the industry really came together. Um, look, I don't think anybody today with the benefit of hindsight would envisage where we are. I think from what we see, it's almost back to business as usual. Um, so the recovery has been a lot quicker than I would have expected it to be. When you look at the confidence in the market, people still going out buying houses, um, the, the low unemployment, I, th I think it's been better than anybody would have expected once we were in that lockdown period. And what about um, people's credit ratings net over the last year? Have they improved or have they, have they not improved? Well, well we, we see those who are actually borrowing. So we don't see everybody's credit record. We only see those who are applying for credit. And, and that has increased over the last 12 months. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think um, as people grow confident, they will go out and they'll incur credit. Um, there's been a growth in things like auto automobile purchases. There's been growth in, in obviously real estate, and they tend to be the people who have the better credit record. So I think you're finding that those who have a higher score are back in the market doing what they would do is buying houses and cars. And I think those who have a little less confidence um, are, are probably pulling out slightly from the market, and therefore you get an average lift in the credit scores. Keith McLaughlin, the Managing Director of Centrix, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Bernard. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.